Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Going back to when you got traded to the Mets in March, what did you initially think about not only being traded, but being traded to this team? And then what has your experience been like with this organization since then? Yeah, um, when, when I got traded over... Uh, it was like an okay, here we go. But uh, just just the reason I say that is like, in my opinion, there isn't a harder city in, in in our country to play a sport. New York is an absolute just gauntlet every night. Um, so mentally, I kind of thought I was mentally tough enough to handle New York. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be playing for a team like the Mets just because – I've kind of proven to myself, okay, you can handle it. Um, you can handle the scrutiny. You can handle the, the booze. You can handle all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, looking back at it, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, mentally, it's toughened me up a lot. Um, handling stuff, I've, I've definitely made mistakes. Um, but overall, it's just, like I said, looking back at the trade, looking back at the year, um, I, I'm so proud of this group. Just, I mean – with everything that we've gone through with Jake early, Max throughout the year and still being in this position, it's, um, like I said, I'm just, I'm very thankful to be part of this group. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 9th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, the postseason's in the air, 
and there's the chill on the pumpkin because the Mets kind of cracked the cellophane off of the 2022 postseason last night with a victory, staving off elimination. As I come to you early here Sunday morning, it's 38 degrees here on eastern Long Island, so we're closer to being Christmas weather or Thanksgiving weather, football weather, than we are baseball weather, but there will be a Game 3 tonight at City Field, an elimination game, as the Mets try to move on from the wild card round out to L.A., where it'll be a little bit more pleasant. And uh, I come to you here, as I do, as I will, after each postseason game. And uh, coming to you, I mean, that game, uh, that is probably the game we saw last night, Game 2, the poster child for why you need a pitch clock. I mean, good strategy by the Padres, basically grinding the Grom to a halt, but... Four-plus hours for a baseball playoff game. What did it end at? About 12-15. There was uh, pseudo, I call it pseudo-garbage time. That's my new thing. That's an NBA term, garbage time. Pseudo-garbage time in the 8th and ninth. But when you have a, it's amazing. When the Mets are down by 6, you're ready to kind of, you're done. This is the the whole mindset. And maybe the mindset of the Mets fan, the New York fan. Mets down 7-1 the night before. Eh, I'm not going to worry about any kind of comeback. Last night, Padres down by 5. And look, they brought the tying run up. And uh, the, the, the whole mindset is, is, is completely different. So we know how that all goes about here in New York. And that will be a theme on today's show as we prepare. Look a little bit at Game 2, some real interesting things to discuss. But I don't want to recap the game. You saw it. But really look at the Game 3 scenario. But more importantly, the ramifications of the outcome here in Game 3 tonight, which is less than 24 hours away we will have some kind of clarity about the 2022 Mets. But first, ESPN. I love Coney. Coney's like one of my favorite Mets. So you'll never hear me talk bad about Coney. He doesn't have that baritone broadcasting voice that you, you know, he's not Gary Cohen, right? But as an analyst, I think he's fair. Uh, in a way, in some ways, I think he's better than Darling. And, and, and it's not a knock on Ron. But I think Cone has evolved. And he... He pitched a little bit deeper than Darling in his career, so he wasn't in the analytics age, but a more modern age. I mean, Darling was done, I think, by 95, 94, so it was still kind of that 80s way of looking at baseball. He was more in a more modern cone pitch into 2003 modern baseball, so he understands analytics. He understands some more nuances, I think, of the modern game. Not that Darling doesn't, but I think Cone articulates it and incorporates it into his broadcast better. Eduardo Perez doesn't annoy me, but I have to tell you, only has always annoyed me. Always. I've always felt that there's been an anti-Mets, anti-Cohen, certainly anti-Wilpon bias. I mean, he's there on the sidelines doing what he's doing. These in-game interviews, Buck is like, I'm not going to tell you that. I mean, they're not. I mean, I don't like them in the NBA. I don't know what value they bring. I just... I don't understand these these sideline interviews. They're just they're just filler. You're never going to get anything out of it. Uh, and if you do, I mean, during the regular season, I can understand maybe you want to have a a sleepy conversation with a player, have some fun. I get it. But when you get to meaningful September baseball, uh, postseason baseball, it's about the game. I, I don't. It's almost like all right, I need to get to the game type of thing. And Carl Ravitch, I don't know what happened last night. Uh. You call Lindor Reyes, then he admits it later in the broadcast, which I wonder, I tweeted somebody who brought him up and, and I think copied him on the tweet. I wonder if you read my tweet. Maybe I'm being a little bit too self-important there, but you called Lindor Reyes a few times. 
And I just, he just, to me, I mean, you know, ball just foul and it's it's flying over into the stands. I'm like, guys, come on. I know it's ESPN. And, and I mean, Francesa on Twitter even got crazy about, you know, will Diaz go four innings? And crazy enough, Diaz comes out in the seventh. But, I mean, what planet are these guys on? I mean, come on. Coney must be sitting there in the booth shaking his head. But I think per Eduardo Perez and Cone do a nice job. I could do it out Olney. I could do it out Ravage. Uh, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And I think, and I haven't looked. I know that TBS is doing the American League uh, Division Series. I think if the Mets advance, the Division Series will continue to be with ESPN. The most annoying part about the night, and I know we have people listening to this show, Mets fans across the country, even overseas, but, I mean, switching from ESPN this to ESPN, I have, it's channel 36 is ESPN. I don't know which ESPN property is 35. And then what do you have, ABC, 7? And, I mean, I, I was switching this. I come back to get, a, a, you know, go to the bathroom, get a cup, you know, something to drink. The game's not on anymore. Where is it? And then I got to fumble through my my guide, and I'm like, please just keep it on one station. I was re- That really agitated me. And I'm sure it agitated some of you as well. But, I mean, come on. I mean, they just, it used to be, and I sound like an old fart, and I'm just, and I'm going to get to the game, and I'm going to get it to my main point here, I promise. But it used to be playoff games were either on Fox, ABC, uh, NBC, which was for uh, playoff games. I think in 86, the Mets were on Channel 4, which is NBC for the World Series, Channel 7, which is ABC for the playoffs. Then for years, it was Fox. Then they had, that's Channel 5 for me, TBS which I think is 40-something for me. I, I never – and I watch the NBA on TNT. So I – there's TBS, there's TNT. I, it's just too much. Like I understand the money. So I, I, it's not going to change. But there's got to be a way. I know MLB Network has had games. It's, it's all over. Actually, in Todd Pratt's home run game, I don't think that was ESPN that called it because it was Chris Berman on TV. I wonder – I think – no, it wasn't – of course it wasn't MLB Network because that would be – that would have been MLB Network wasn't around. It wasn't Fox. And I remember that was on like a weird channel. Maybe that was ESPN. Ber- of course, Berman ESPN. What am I talking about? But I remember that's 1999. I'm like, why am I have to go search for the Mets game? They want it to be like the NCAA tournament where you see here, there, whatever, and the whole thing. But the Mets are the star tonight, so it shouldn't be hard to find the game. It'll be like a Sunday night baseball ESPN game. I mean, it's like two weeks in a row. I mean, you know how we all hate the Sunday night baseball games during the season because screws the show up. You want to get your Sunday on. Well, you know, you're going to be getting primetime. The Mets advance. This is just one of many that you'll see, especially against when they play the Dodgers and move on. Mets are the A game. They get in the A team, if you call that the A team and what have you. But you can see uh, two days, 48 hours later, how seasons could change. And that will be a theme in a little bit. Because you heard Chris Bassett coming in. Phillies just a few months ago. Joe Girardi is fired. They're utter mitigated failure. They're in the division series. They're in the division series. And Seattle comes into City Field in May. They're a rebuilding team. They come back from an 8-1 deficit. Beat a Toronto team that a year ago was probably the best offensive team I had seen in the sport. And everybody was, hey, listen, I know they would lift some of the restrictions in Toronto when it comes to players and their vaccination status. But does it even matter anymore? Thanks, Toronto. Now go home. That kind of thing. Uh, And, of course, the Guardians, a team that the Mets took Lindor from, and in a weak division, but everybody talked about Chicago and the White Sox, and here they are advancing against Tampa uh, and a really low-scoring back and forth. 
You saw a 15-inning ball game. You saw real baseball, traditional baseball. I was listening to Howie Rose. I actually listened to the first inning of the game in the car. I was coming back from somewhere. And Howie even said, that game is a, a poster child for why you need the free runner, which is actually kind of grow, grown on me, but not in the postseason. You want real baseball in the postseason. You want to sit in front – Look, if you're going to invest four hours and change for a nine-inning game, Mets Padres on a Saturday night, what's another three hours to go 15, 16 innings? Who knows? Might happen tonight. So Joe Musgrove, Chris Bassett. Before we get to that, so last night, it's very simple. I'm not going to go and break it down for you. A couple of quick commentaries. The blueprint was followed to pretty much perfection. And I didn't say that they had to be ahead, but they had to score first. They never played from behind. They got the solid six innings. Out of the Grom, he battled a lot. It's still a little perplexing to me what's going on with Scherzer. I kind of have an idea what's going on with Scherzer, with the oblique. What's going on with the Grom? There could be a component where you're out so much of the year, you come back in August. He's had this disjointed year because of the shoulder injury, and maybe that's why you're starting to see this spottiness with his command. But his command. And it could be just simply be we're so used to over, especially last year, a guy that never really ever didn't have his perfect stuff. I mean, that's that's what happens with 2021. I always said you're not going to be able to replicate that season. I feel he's swung a little bit more to mortality at times. But think about it. Throughout his first month or so of pitching after being out 60% of the year – the only criticism you can have with DeGrom, I mean, I think he had like four walks in his first 10 starts or something like that, is that he would lose a little of that gas after 75, 80 pitches. And I could understand that because of the disjoint. That part I got. So I was always like, hey, you need to be careful after 85 pitches. Now, he goes 99 last night, and not only does he get out of that big inning, that's where the game was really won. I mean, the game was, I mean, Diaz did his part, especially with that play at first base on the ground ball. But the game was won by striking out Machado. I mean, right there, pinning that, you know, the chance for the Padres to take the lead. The momentum is swinging. I mean, it's a simple formula if you're the Padres swinging it to the other side. You want to get that city field crowd out of it, just like you did Friday. It's raucous. It's loud. I mean, you, you, know, you see guys struggling with the pitch con, which we knew throughout the season was eventually going to be a problem. And you could get this crowd. I mean, the Mets fan right now, and I don't know if it's going to change, and, I'll, and I, it's part of this program, is really not handling playing behind or handling adversity very well. They go back down and they get depressed very quickly. They get stressed very quickly. And that's the blueprint for San Diego. But so DeGrom coming up big there and then coming back out in the sixth and just going to vintage DeGrom – at 99 pitches, and, and I know he was going slider, slider. He talked about it in the post game. He didn't have a good cha- feel of his changeup. And they, he was a little bit gun-shy after the Grisham at-bat where he took this almost near-perfect location fastball at 100 and shot it out for a home run. There's a bit of – it's weird. There's a bit of a wind tunnel. I mean, Lindor didn't get the wind tunnel. If you remember, Lindor almost had a three-run homer. He didn't get the wind tunnel. But it seems every time Grisham's up, the wind tunnel goes. Vogelback didn't get a game one. But he got, but he got it. So he got away from his fastball, and he went slider, slider, slider. You know, almost fifty-fifty. It was like Diaz out there, and maybe he was gassed because I personally think the only criticism, and I thought Buck and and I think Buck 
calls a lot of the shots when it comes to managing the game. I know we had some debate on Twitter yesterday. I'm not saying that the front office and Billy Epler are not involved, but I think they give Buck data and they say, Buck, this is kind of what we're looking at. Ultimately, it's Buck's decision. He didn't come here to have somebody in the front office playing Stratomatic up in the eye in the sky managing his team. I can assure you that. I don't know that for a fact. I don't have any information on that. I could assure you. I know that there is compromise of thought process that happens at the planning meeting, but there's no way. So I have no problem with how he handled Diaz. I'll get to that. But the one thing, and nobody really dived into it, unless I missed it because I looked. I, it's not your typical SMY post game, so you're going bouncing around. Why couldn't he go another 10, 15 pitches at that point? Are you sa- I mean, this idea of saving him, you got to get to the next round. Now, maybe he was stressed and they felt, let's get him out of here on a high. Um, you know, the t- I know it, was, it wasn't necessarily the top of the order, but it was swinging around. I thought he could at least go a couple more batters before they brought Diaz, save a couple of more outs. The blueprint, perfect blueprint, would be starter to Diaz out. Not that you don't want Adovino Lugo, but you saw yesterday in the postseason when you get to that Lugo Adovino or any middle reliever. This is every postseason for every team. There's always the risk that they're just not going to be at the same level as your elite pitchers. You know, Adovino had some command issues. I don't know if it's the cold. It was cold last night. Really cold. I mean, that's 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 a part of the decision-making as you bring guys in, the touch and feel. How are they going to manage that and what have you? So I the only quibble I had, which is interesting because I think mainly the quibble that the booth had, the ESPN booth, and a lot of fans that I saw on Twitter was that, well, he should, have took D- he should have brought Diaz in the seventh, and he should have taken him out after they have a five-run lead. No, no. This San Diego offense is pretty good, and they don't have Tatis. Uh, now that they and, – and I don't know the free agency status. I know Bell's a free agent and, and Drury and guys like that. But I got to tell you, you know, you put Tatis in this lineup, and their component players – forget what they say on the baseball reference page, below league average, above, above league average, whatever – they know how to work the count a little bit. They're not they're not a pushover team. I didn't think any of these wild card teams, the Phillies, the, uh, the Cardinals, even though they didn't really come and show a lot, they're big guys. Goldschmidt, Arenado came up small um, in their game. None of these were pushover teams. This is a very competitive – it's a tournament. I mean, look at it this way. The Cardinals, this could happen in the future. Cardinals win a division. They had the third best divisional record. They're in this silly wild card round. It doesn't really matter. What this wild card round is showing you, unlike the division winning situation where they had actually just wild cards play a, a do or die, is it really has diminished the regular season in a lot of ways. Because I don't, the home field, yes, you want to play these games at City Field, but look at the Phillies. They went into St. Louis and won. Baseball and home field is not exactly the same. I know the last at bat, I know that there's some component of, of, stress playing on the road that shows with teams. But I think a lot of that has to do with travel sometimes than it is environment, unlike the NBA, which is as much the crowd and the environment, things like that. I I just think it just shows you, does it matter if I win 89 if I'm in the wild card or 95 and the third division winner? At some point, you're going to play in that round and you don't have a chance at the first two buys. You're all even. You're all kind of in this tournament. And then once you get past this three-game set, and survive in advance, I mean, what makes anything different? So baseball has truly become a tournament. Part of me, and I don't want to go too off on a tangent here, just rack them and stack them by league, and the top six teams and the top six teams get the two buys. I mean, are divisions even mattering 
other than for travel. And if you're going to balance the schedule out, well, let's just let's just do like the NBA and and the NHL. Just rack them up. Who cares about divisions anymore? Because this, if this is the way it's going, divisions don't really mean a heck of a lot. They really don't. Conversation for another day. That's not for today, at this point. So, uh, really give Buck credit. Really going for the jugular, going out there, knowing that they had their top hitters that Diaz would face in the eighth. Didn't want to mess around and get a couple of runners on and get it to where a Machado uh, or Soto could do some damage with one bad pitch. I have no problem with him bringing Diaz in in the seventh because of where it was in the lineup. You knew he wasn't going to go the whole time, and he probably figured if Diaz could cl- go clean, then I got out of Vino. And, and look, he had to go with Lugo because as you got and flipped around again, because Adovino couldn't get the bottom of the order out, then you had to get Lugo to come in and get a big out at some point. I might have brought, not I might have, I would have brought in Lugo batter earlier against Machado, but I think he wanted to go lefty-righty. Lugo's better against lefties. Machado, uh, you know, maybe a better matchup with Adovino. I just thought Adovino didn't have it. To me, Adovino didn't have it. Profar almost hit one out. Adovino, he had a big, you know, he got the out in the eighth. He came in after Diaz uh, came out. And he just didn't look like after he sat down and came back up the same picture. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it wasn't the cold. Maybe it was the up and down. Diaz, give him a ton of credit. I mean, he sat for 45 minutes. And it's funny because everybody in the booth and the fans are like, Buck, how can he do this? How can he send him back out? Do you not think, and I think I even saw the, the camera pan to the dugout, Hefner talking to Diaz. They talked to him. Buck, I think, mentioned in the postgame, they actually had him throw in, in, in the clubhouse. They must have some kind of, or maybe go down to the bullpen or go into the, the tunnel. These guys know what they're doing. We could make opinions from the couch. We could have, obviously, I mean, I just did one with DeGrom, but nobody really asked DeGrom, were you shot? He probably is not going to give you the answer. There is so much more going into this decision-making than what we see in pitch count, and our eyes, and the booth, whatever booth we're watching, commentary. So I have no problem with the way the game was played. I don't know what you're going to get out of Diaz today. I know everybody's like, what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? You just couldn't play that today. This is not similar to when Terry Collins brought in Jerry's Familia in a game three up six runs in the ninth inning. Not the same. This was, you had a legitimate, even with the five-run lead, you had a legitimate offense that you needed to get multiple innings out of and I don't know I mean they were they were showing a lot of moxie I don't know if you could just navigate that without getting the five you know you got five outs out of Diaz five outs out of Diaz I think in most situations this is what you pay Diaz for this is what you wanted all year this is what you've built up all year Mariano Rivera did it with those great Yankee teams and they had some pretty good bridges to Mariano they had Jeff Nelson they had Mike Stanton you know, back in 96, they had Graham Lloyd and David Weathers pitching out of their minds. I mean, the, the, those Yankees teams, I mean, there's some similarities of Jeff Nelson and Adovino and a Stanton maybe and a Lugo. Uh, I would say those guys, the Yankee guys are better, but very similar. And if the Yankees did it, why wouldn't Diaz be able to do it? And if Diaz wants to be paid, like I believe he wants to be paid, maybe the, the highest closer per year annuum all time, this is part of what he's going to be expected to do. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. 
Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And that brings me to... Bassett's commentary and tonight. I have this, and this is something we may have to examine more if, when and if, if the Mets are eliminated at some point, whether that be tonight, next week, later into the postseason. Since 2006 and the disappointment of 2006, I'm going to use that as a demarcation line. This town, this city... Uh, the media, I think, I'm going to go back. Their shtick was created with the post, with the 90s Yankees. That kind of, with those young writers growing up, it ruined their analysis because everything was about comparing every sport, every situation to that five-year run because it was gloriful for them. They were growing up. They became famous. They, they worked deep into October. They got very good jobs out of it. It provided tons of content. And now a lot of these guys, like Sherman, Heyman, Guys like that, 
they're not just working locally as as beat writers. They got themselves elevated to big positions. They got TV positions. So I understand why there's a lot of love for that. And you always have a certain amount of affinity to how you cut your teeth in the industry, no matter what. I'm sure some of you who are listening have those same thoughts. There's nothing wrong with it. But what it created was a zero-sum thinking where there is no context to assessing situations. Also, there's no context to assessing how difficult the task winning a championship is. And also, to a certain degree, acting as if it's not about the other team. It's about whether the Mets could step up. It's about whether the New York team has guts or whether the New York team could could almost like on a string has this power to manage the action. That's probably why the competition hates New York so much. And you heard Chris Bassett talk about playing here and how tough it is. And he's even made comments in the past. I think uh, he made a comment. I don't remember after, maybe it was after the Atlanta series when they won two out of three back in the summer. But he's talked about, well, I'm sure the sky is, you know, back, you know, back up in the, you know, it's not falling. I think it was surprising to him. And I'm not saying that, and I see this with the coverage. You know, I, I looked around to see what kind of media coverage the Padres get from an independent media standpoint like, like the Mets. Not much. And the media coverage, we are very fortunate to be playing, to seeing a team play in New York and to have the people, the people that live in this town do things kind of like what I'm doing on top of the mainstream, which has multiple layers of media coverage. It's not the case everywhere else. So this is a culture shock, and I understand you can't criticize New York for being what it is. But 2006 with the fan base, the disappointment of Game 7, and again, to put it in context, you look back now, Game 7, 2006, 16 years later, you were beat by a Hall of Fame manager, you were beat by a Hall of Fame starting pitcher, potentially an Adam Wainwright, and you were beat by a veteran team with some good component players, no different than some of the guys you see on the field right now for the Mets, those kind of players, in a Game 7, and the Mets fans never got over that. And ever since then, there's been this, I'm not going to be happy until the team wins a championship, and I'm going to tar and feather those who are in this uniform until they give me what I want. Even before the collapse of 07, there was this malaise with the fan base where they weren't showing up to the stadium, uh, they weren't into it. Granted, that team because of the lack of some off-season reinforcements, might have added some anxiety. And I've spoken to Rick Peterson. He was a pitching coach on that team. He did not think that team was as good as its record earlier in the year. He felt that there was a lot of regression to the mean, that at that time, we didn't have the information. Or the information was there, we just didn't cover the team that way, that would have told you, hey, this team is playing a little bit above their head. You probably would look at that team. The pitching was a little thin. The rotation was a little thin. The bullpen wasn't as strong as a year ago. Offense was really good. And I know the collapse and all that stuff. So that 06 and that 07 collapse and then what happened in 08 and then the whole Madoff and Omar and all the blow up that happened. And I'll put 2015 was kind of like this wake up in the middle of the night, you know, runoff of the highway. And you went back on the same highway. So 2015 was different, but that team never faced adversity in the playoffs until Kansas City. And I think at that point, when you lose in the World Series, you're viewed differently. They steamrolled through the Cubs. They always played ahead against the Dodgers, won a big game in L.A. They never were behind. So we haven't really experienced what we're seeing where you didn't have a a deficit like you had after game one. And my fear here 
And I look at the guy, this team, and I don't know if they, they advance and then lose in the DS or the championship series, if it'll be the same, but I suspect it may. This team had a hard task in front of it when it was put together because of the yoke around the neck, the years of heartbreak and disappointment and off the field shenanigans and the media LOL Mets coverage that they still want to bring out of the closet. And that only gets exacerbated for a specific group. These are, these guys relatively are all new to this, not Diaz, not Nimmo, but Bassett, Escobar, um, Aravino. I know he played for the Yankees. You go on to the guys who imported Marte, Canna, they came in here. They're not. They're, they they were fresh. It was like fresh slate, and they succeeded. And then they didn't get the job done because of the division, and that's the erosion of the relationship. And now I know of Mets fans that I've talked to that have said they're not going to get into this until they get past the wild card round. I'm like, well, why? Uh, they got to prove to me that they're a serious playoff team. I'm like, well, this is part of the playoffs. I mean, if you're only going to get two buys, that's the top two division winners. There's going to be a division winner at some point, as long as this format exists, that's going to be in this dopey round. So what's the difference between the Cardinals winning division and the Mets winning a wild card? From a standpoint of seeding, nothing. They both had to play these games. And you're not going to necessarily be able to, every year, have the top two records in the league. It's just not going to happen, even if you win a championship. There are going to be teams that don't have the top two records in the league that win a, cha- that win a championship and have to go through this series. I'm not going to go through the stats and the numbers and go year by year, but I'm sure you could just throw a dart at the last 15 years and I could find more than a few teams that have won a championship that would have fell into this wild card round. So Chris Bassett is starting tonight. He's put it out there that he's come here and he, he won 15 ball games. He talked about maybe tried a little too hard in Atlanta. I hope he, he learns from that because I saw that the way he was throwing. And tonight is a defining night, I think, for a number of guys on this team. Whether they perform or don't perform as a group, if this Mets team loses tonight, and I'm in favor of bringing the band back, it's going to be expensive. That's a conversation for another day. But if they lose, it's going to be a really hard offseason into the spring training into this uh, next year because all they will hear is you guys are good you guys do a lot of nice things but when the chips are down and when it really comes time for you to do what I want you can't get it done and I'm going to be disappointed in you and boo you every time you make a mistake and be arm's length with you until you show me elsewise and that's just adding negativity to the whole fan environment It is what it is. I don't think it's going to change. The media will flame it because that's what they do for clicks. And it will make Buck's job harder. The theme of next year, all the things that we talk about as the team grows and develops. Now, I don't think every one of them will be put into that cauldron. But I can tell you as a group, they will. And Bassett as a free agent, if he spits the bit tonight and has a similar performance like he did against Atlanta last week and the Mets lose... As much as I think it's a no-brainer to bring him back on a on a starting a deal, and there's not a lot. You start letting a Bassett walk, you let a Walker walk. You you know you don't pick up Carrasco. You know don't be so ready to throw Tyler McGill and David Peterson into those rotations and expect the same results. That's a way different conversation. And as you can see with Philadelphia, 
you know, Miami losing 41 run games. I know it's not necessarily about the division because the balanced schedule. Winning and getting to this point is hard. And they're going to have to really work this offseason to keep themselves in this pantheon. It's not just going to happen because of that. DeGrom passed the test last night. And and really, think about it. I think there's a large contingent of the fan base that's like, what's up with DeGrom? He doesn't he's, – he's as – I mean, it's because he went to that next level with the back-to-back Cy Youngs and the crazy Bob Gibson season that maybe we're evaluating him differently. But he's on the clock, too. All these guys want to get paid. And bringing them back with an air of negativity, Diaz is one of them, it's just going to cause the fans and the media to say, this guy's good, but. Now, if they get past San Diego and they lose a tough five-game series to the Dodgers who are an elite team, an all-time team, Maybe it won't be as bad. The conversation will be more like, how can they get to the next level? But regardless, whoever is performing less than what what the fans of the media want, I think is is somebody that we have to take a long look at and say, are you prepared for what's to come next? Because what's to come next is that yoke that you signed up for. Well, you didn't sign. Well, some of them did with free agency, but Bassett was thrown into it. That's going to be there. It's gotten heavier because of your involvement now in the team's history of failure to this fan base. And if history, and we use history all the time to predict the future, is any predictor, look at what happened after 06. And look at what happened to that group. 2015, they just didn't invest in that club properly. But it went haywire quick. That was a different scenario. We're not here to go dive into that. But the yoke got, after losing to Kansas City, didn't get any easier. It swallowed up those guys health-wise. It swallowed up Matt Harvey. A lot more to that. That team was built differently. To a certain degree, you know, after 2000, that group, again, it's more of an investment thing. So the, the interesting part is you have the owner that we believe, I don't see why it would change, is going to invest in this club. And it's going to take a lot to keep this club together, win or lose. But are the fans up for bringing the band back? And really, every night, there is somebody, because of all the free agents they have, that comes out of that bullpen or starts on that mound or comes up to the plate that is almost putting a referendum of his New York Mets career on the line. And Chris Bassett is tonight. And he knows it. He knows it. And this is going to be tough. Musgrove pitched well against the Dodgers. He hasn't pitched as well in the second half as he did in the, in, the, in the first half. I mean, the Padres are set up. They got a hometown kid, Musgrove, pitching for the San Diego uh, franchise's lives. They got Hater Fresh, who hasn't thrown a pitch, who could probably go two innings. And when he's on, is as every bit elite as Diaz. They've got pretty much eight innings figured out. And they could probably navigate three outs. So they're set up. Their blueprint's set up. The Mets, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, I think Bassett traditionally has given you six innings plus. He's sometimes done more. And usually when he has a stinker, he's come back and pitched really big. But we saw those periods when Scherzer went down. He became the de facto ace. He had that slump. Bad start against the Cubs in September. A killer start. Bad start against Atlanta. So he does have those periods where you're going to know pretty quick if he doesn't have it. Me, going into this game, I have time on Walker on call, and if Bassett shows any inkling to be not himself, go to Walker. Real quick. I'm talking 
first inning, second inning. Do not let him try to figure it out. And throwing it out there, throwing out the challenges where he felt he's overcome them. Well, Chris, you have. You had a really good season here in New York coming from Oakland. However, it you know, ask Javier Vasquez, ask Kevin Brown. It destroyed Randy Johnson. It's never the same. They'll never forgive you. They'll never forgive you. And I personally think he has a stinker today. As much as on paper you want to re-sign Chris Bassett, the best thing Chris Bassett could do if he doesn't have the game that he should is probably leave. And that's a shame because that guy will go somewhere else and pitch really well and may come back to beat the Mets down the road and will sit there go, oh, he couldn't do this here. Well, he could have. And the thing is, he's human. And you let you know you beat him up to get him out of here. That could happen. Could happen to Diaz. Some of these guys just might get offers that the Mets like. This is just way above their value. That's a different story. So this postseason, and specifically this game, because I think I'm curious to see if the attitude of the media and the fans will change if they get past this series and get to the Dodgers. I still think if they lose to the Dodgers, there'll be a continuum that say if they had only won the division. Hey, listen, look at the Phillies. They're playing well. They got two top of the rotation starters that are pretty darn good. Mets beat them, you know, Nola won nothing. I mean, Wheeler, they beat those guys, but they weren't blowouts. It wasn't like they blow those guys out. Wheeler pitched well. I mean, they, they, they dinged them, but they pitched well. Mets got big hits against the Phillies. It wasn't like they blew them out game in. They just did a lot of little things. Just like last night. Big hits. Little things. Everything they didn't do game one. So, buckle up. It's about 9 o'clock here on Sunday morning. It's getting a little bit warmer. Enjoy your breakfast. Try to enjoy some football, unwind, and get ready for, what is it, 7 o'clock first pitch, 7.30, probably 7 o'clock. I don't care. It's somewhere between 7 and 7.30. And you may be up till midnight, and it's sometime on midnight, we're going to know what's next, and we're going to know where the direction of this show is going to go, and where are the Mets flying to L.A.? Are they going home? And I will tell you, it's the latter. Buckle up, because the Mets have had some wild off-seasons with GM changes and manager changes and scandals and all this stuff the last four or five years. But there's no off-season with this club, because if they don't bring home a championship, even if they do, rebuilding or maintaining what they have and the decisions that come with that are extremely complicated, financially and from a standpoint of what I just told you about. About what they're going to, these guys all have to really be honest with themselves. And DeGrom is up there too. You don't think DeGrom is watching this and saying, Do I want this the next four or five years? He is. And you know what? Don't be surprised. Some guys say, This is just not for me, man. And it's not an indictment on them. This is a lot. This is overwhelmingly a lot. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And there's no way to change it. But the funny part is, New York and the media and the fans never say, am I unhealthy? Am I unfair? They're so, it's a, such a narcissistic environment. And it's only getting worse. But that's the lot that everybody's chosen. And that's what you sign up for when you come here. Does it make everything harder? Absolutely. Does it make it more sweeter when you overcome it? Absolutely. But it just made a very difficult task that much harder. And in a lot of ways, a little bit of context about how hard this thing is would go a long way. All right, that's all I got for you. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet 
at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy Game 3, the ultimate game, elimination game. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast this week at some point. Until then, take care, everybody. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.